From the Oxano Podcast Network, welcome to My Ministry Breakthrough, hosted by me, Brian Rose. This podcast is all about pastors sharing unfiltered stories of moments large and small, of times when the fog of ministry chaos clears and breakthrough clarity happens. Um, sometimes your frustration with the status quo can lead you to, to not appreciate the reformation the generation in front of you led. All you see is what still needs to be reformed. And so you tend to say, you should have done this. Why didn't you do this? Wow, that's so unbiblical or whatever it is. However you want to talk about it versus saying, you know what? Thank you for the reformation that you led. Welcome to episode one of My Ministry Breakthrough. Our very first guest is Dave Rhodes. Dave is the co-founder of Wayfarer Ministries back in 2000. I bet some of you heard him speak at a youth camp along the way. Wayfarer later merged with 3DM, uh, and man, at the heart of the missional church movement, Dave was on the leadership team at 3DM during a time of tremendous growth. So we talk a little bit about the disciple-making passion and heart uh, Dave has. Dave is currently the pastor of Discipleship and Movement Initiatives at Grace Fellowship Church just outside Atlanta, Georgia. So part of the ministry breakthrough moments, part of those breakthrough moments he and I talk about is what happens if your founding and lead pastor dies? How does the church go on? How does the church not just recover in that, but grow and thrive in that season? And I'll give you a hint. Uh, It's because younger leaders were empowered to actually lead. So listen in for that that moment of breakthrough there. Uh, Speaking of younger leaders empowered to actually lead, Dave and I talk a lot about the boomers and millennials and how does a boomer generation successfully hand off a church to a millennial generation and how does a millennial generation successfully receive that handoff? How do those two generations need to speak to each other and maintain disciple-making effectiveness uh, in this season. One of, the, one of the coolest parts about Grace Church in Snellville is while they would be considered a, a mega multi-site, they don't really call themselves a multi-site church. They call themselves a family of churches. So we talk a lot about what connects them and directs them uh, to become, in their vision, a church of 100 plus locations. Dave drops a lot of wisdom in this episode. And one thing that stood out to me was was this thought, you cannot multiply your church at the rate of opportunity. You can only multiply at the rate of leadership development. So lean in and listen up to this episode with the co-founder of Unique, the pastor of Discipleship and Movement Initiatives at Grace Fellowship Church just outside Atlanta, Georgia, my friend, Dave Rhodes. Just in three, three to five minutes, give us, give us a story of Grace Church and uh, Dave Rhodes. Yeah, yeah, I'll, I'll do my best. You know, I'm three and a half years into my tenure at Grace, um, so there's a lot of other leaders that could give you a, a better telling of the history than I can. Um, but I'm pastor of discipleship and movement initiatives here. Uh, we have seven campuses, or what we call a family of churches, so seven churches that are part of the family of churches. Um, we're in four different contexts so that we are in the, the city, we're in the suburbs, we're in small town, um, and we are in uh, a college campus. Uh, and so we have six locations here in the Atlanta area, one in Washington, D.C. Uh, we decided several years ago to be a multiplying church and not just simply a mega church. Snellville was the mothership location. Uh, founding pastor was a guy named Buddy Hoffman, tremendous leader. Um, who invested his life in the neighborhoods, nations, and next generation. That was a vision that was growing throughout that 30-year history. Um, And uh, several years ago, the church decided, uh, well, I mean, almost kind of accidentally, we got kind of landlocked and could not go beyond our our current capacity. And part of what they sensed God was doing was not enabling them to just grow bigger and bigger and bigger, but instead to have to learn uh, the skills of multiplying uh, the grace community. So that now ha- is, is seven churches in several different kinds of locations. Um, it's a 34-ish year history of um, the church there. Uh, Buddy Hoffman, who was the founder, was an apostolic leader. 
Uh, one of the things that was monumental in the church's history was about four years ago, uh, Buddy uh, had an aortic dissection uh, that he wasn't, uh, the doctors didn't believe he'd come out of. So uh, that scenario within a church at what would happen if the senior pastor died became a real reality. Um, he did survive. Uh, he was incapacitated for a year, which meant that all of our younger leaders rose up and began to lead. And probably the greatest story we could tell in the church's history is that Buddy, on the back end of coming back into leadership, decided not to come back into the center, but went to the fringes, helped us plant uh, two of uh, more of the churches that are now part of our family. Um, and he led from the fringes rather than leading from the center. And so that leads us now to seven different locations, somewhere between, you know, five and 8,000 on any given day across those seven locations. Um, great senior leaders in every location that have uh, multiplied, many of them out of Buddy's basement. Uh, that was the kind of uh, leadership laboratory in which uh, Buddy groomed leaders in regard to they were able to live with him, talk with him, see what he was doing. Um, and the laboratory that we all, I mean, most of us as leaders have basements now, and we're trying to continue to multiply leaders um, through life-on-life kind of situations. And so now that is us as Grace Church, seven different locations, six in the Atlanta area, one in Washington, D.C., and hope to continue to multiply the movement uh, well beyond that. Uh, some of our leaders, uh, um, John Stallsmith at Grace Snellville, Matt Reynolds down at Grace Midtown, John Raymond over at Grace Athens, Ben Hardman at Grace Marietta, Chris Mormon um, in Washington, D.C., Randy Rainwater um, is over at Grace New Hope, and then Brian Krozik is at Grace Monroe. And all these guys are tremendous leaders um, that are multiplying the Grace DNA in their specific location. And tell us the story of Dave. Oh, yeah, story of Dave. Well, how'd you get um, to Grace? Yeah, so. I uh, graduated from Beeson Divinity School in 2000. Me and a buddy named Chad Norris started a ministry called Wayfarer, um, in which we uh, were helping the church uh, reach 20-somethings and students. We did that for 10 years and saw God do some amazing things. Lots of different stories I could tell you about that. Uh, but 10 years into that, we ended up merging that ministry with 3DM. I became the U.S. team leader for 3DM, helping churches rethink disciple-making cultures and missional communities all over the country. We saw God do some amazing things in the five years that they, we were there with 3DM and really scale that ministry in some ways that were uh, pretty phenomenal. Got to be a part of what God was doing with that. Uh, and then five years into that, I'd coached Grace through the disciple-making culture process, had some great friends that were family here, Aaron Keyes, um, uh, several other people. Uh, Scott Kendig was here at Grace at that time. And so when it came time for us to transition, I wanted to be in a church that I felt like had movemental capability and Grace was that church. So I am a pastor here. I'm also the co-founder of a process called Unique, me and a guy named Will Mancini, who many of you know uh, from this podcast. Uh, we started a ministry called, uh, a movement called Unique several uh, years ago that's helping churches um, reclaim personal calling for their people. Um, so mobilizing the church through personal calling uh, with this uh, new initiative called Unique. So I'm, I'm part of that and I'm also on the team of 100 Movements, which is helping churches uh, continue to uh, rethink church as a movement throughout the U.S. and beyond. So those are some of the things that I do. Uh, I'm part of married to my wife, Kim, who's really the way better half. Um, she is uh, my hero in lots of ways. Um, she, all the mission and discipleship stuff that I talk about, she does. Um, she is so active in our neighborhood um, and with our friends and beyond. Uh, she's definitely my better half. Have three kids, a daughter named Emma, uh, a daughter named Izzy, and a son named Frankie. And uh, we're trying to survive on some days and thriving in, in, in the, on the other days. I hear you. Uh, and reviving in the middle of those. Yeah, others, that's right? true. That's right. That, um, hey, did you, you re- literally mean everyone literally has a basement in their home? What do you mean everyone a has a basement? Us, yeah. So a lot of us have invested in houses. We, we sell of our houses as a missional tool. And so we see it also as part of a leadership um, build out. And so uh, many of the pastors that are on staff have either created space in their house or basements 
to be able to house people. So, you know, we'll house, you know, between a hundred, probably a hundred or 150 people throughout the year um, that are coming in for leadership um, investment or are part of our team for leadership develop, development kind of thing. And so we really try and create enough space um, to be able to invest in leaders where we live um, because that, that is such a DNA piece of who Grace was. And again, it's one of those things, once you've done it, uh, you see all the stuff that's caught, not just taught. And there's something about gathering around a, a meal table together. There's something about um, just being on the couch and talking. And so you got to create space in your home for that. And so many of us as, of lead, as leaders have invested in that kind of space for people to be able to come and learn, come and be and actually li- live with us. Now, you said that that comes from Buddy's influence in the culture as the founding pastor of Grace. And you mentioned Buddy's story, kind of uh, what you guys went through there with his sickness. Come, Take us back to that moment in the story. Rewind a little bit back to um, what happened with Buddy and how that impacted who Grace is today. Yeah, I mean, you know, we always you always had the hypothetical situation of what happens if the senior yeah. pastor dies, what would, ha- yeah. what would happen? Well, that was actually a reality in that the senior pastor um, had an aortic dissection. Uh, we thought he was going to die, uh, and uh, but he but he was really immobilized for a year, um, and that is an even different scenario because the senior pastor is still alive, yeah, uh, but yeah. he's not in he's not in functioning capacity. Uh, so, how do you manage that? Well, uh, because the discipling culture had been so strong, all the next tier of leaders really rose up. And, and the question for Buddy was going to be, what do I do now that I'm coming back? Mm. Do I step on that or do I, do I go outside of that? And Buddy's strategic decision to go to the outside uh, meant that the leaders could really lead. And then he became the, uh, the catalyst for planting and multiplying more grace churches. And that, that strategic decision um, has is is huge for the the future of multiplication at grace if he would have come back to the center and stepped on all the leaders that had raised up in the midst of his absence you would not have what grace is today i would say most of those leaders probably would have left Um, most of those leaders would have found other ventures to be part of Um, and the uh, multiplication that you begin to see happening wouldn't have happened uh, but Buddy had the presence of mind to go to the fringes on that. Everyone still revered him as the father of the ministry. So it's not like he's, you know, not crucial to decision-making. I mean, he's still, he was still at the center of all the uh, major decision-making and things like that. But he did it from the fringes, uh, which really empowered that next generation of leaders. And now, you know, the year that he did die, uh, the churches still grew and and, and giving increased, which is unheard of when a founding pastor dies or goes away or does something like that. People have insurance policies to to watch out for the moments when, when that happens. Yeah, and, yeah. And, and, and so the fact that the churches increased and the offerings increased, we feel like is a huge, huge win, a testimony to, to Buddy's leadership and a testimony to uh, the, the next tier of leaders that have been able to step up and fill those shoes. Is that, is that something, you know, that kind of posture and mindset, is that something that's unique to Buddy? Is that just kind of his wiring? Is that just kind of a provisional grace God has, has put inside of him? Or is there something there, is there a teachable moment to every lead pastor, whether they founded the church or not, in a growing environment trying to reach younger leaders and empower them to lead? Mm-hmm. Is there something that's transferable there that you saw? Hey, Buddy did this in this way. Definitely. Yeah, I think we got there in some ways accidentally. Um, Buddy is a fantastic leader, an apostolic kind of leader, so he's always on the move, which was really powerful about him. Um, but uh, I think him going to the fringes was was an accidental kind of moment where uh, it wasn't necessarily planned. It was his apostolic reaction to what had happened while he was incapacitated. Um, but I do think in that there's lots for for leaders to learn, and that is if you sit on your younger leaders and you never really give them a chance to fully lead, um, usually they're going to find themselves in lots of other contexts. 
But if as a if as a senior leader, you can continue to keep your growth pattern happening, recognizing that where you're at today doesn't have to be where you sit five years from now. You have to have the kind of holy imagination to believe in a movement, not just simply in a church. Um, and, and you have the audacity to follow the holy hunch into that movement potential, uh, then it means that uh, the leadership organization is going to shift and change and grow versus be static and become a glass ceiling for every leader below you. Um, And so I do believe there's a transferable piece there uh, that is actually incredibly important as you hear so much more uh, pastors talking about succession planning, because what what the, the, the primary obstacle I would say in succession planning is this, the current seniors leader's imagination for what might be next for them. That, that's, the, that's the major barrier. Um, they don't know what might be next for them. All they know is what they have currently, and they're reticent to give that up until they can imagine what might be next for them. But you're never going to grow a movement that way. Um, at best, you're going to sit on top of a ministry chain. And so uh, the, the kind of transferable truth is movemental imagination that means that the leadership that you have uh, currently uh, can continue to expand and grow and may move you out of the seat you're currently at so that other people um, might, might move into the seat that you, that you currently have. And so I think succession planning, uh, the biggest uh, thing that we could, we could bring to it is a movemental imagination for more. Um, and a movemental imagination for a significant role to play that the senior leader currently is, that, that is different than what the senior leader is currently doing. And, and I think a lot of leaders, I would think most leaders who are truly leaders, there's something in hearing that movemental imagination and, 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 and not sitting on, you know, on top of the, I, I think they, there's something that would resonate. They'd be like, yes, I, I want oh, that. Yeah. But on the flip side, there's this very practical, and let's just go ahead and name it. There's some there are some people who, 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 could not see having permission to do that. Permission from the lay yeah. leaders, permission from those influencers in the congregation, because that's a threat, right? It's a threat to see my mm-hmm. senior leader move to the fringes and let these other guys. Hey, these other right. guys are great. I like them, and we've all said it, right? Man, right. these young guys are really good. <laughs> we love their energy. Yeah. Uh, the between the lines is, but they don't know what the heck they're doing. You know, we need you, pastor. Right. We want you up there. That feeds a little bit of that pastoral ego, you know, that we're all trying to, totally. to set aside. But there is still that reality of. Man, I would do that, but I don't know that I'm going to have permission. To yeah. do. Does, it, does that make sense? Right. Is that something yeah, you guys totally. just didn't have at all? Or is that, you know, you guys, you guys may well, have I mean, like I said, stared that down. There was the gift. There's a gift that the senior pastor is incapacitated for a year, um, which means yeah. that that's not a possibility. And you have to go with what the next possibility is. But you also have to realize those leaders will never become that senior pastor until they get a chance to sit in that seat. Mm-hmm. Um, it, they're, they're, that senior pastor wasn't that senior pastor when, when, they, when they first sat in that seat. Something happens when you sit in that seat that helps you grow into um, what the current senior pastor now embodies. Um, and so, uh, you know, your, your other alternative is for the current senior pastor to stay in that seat, uh, but they probably have a generation that has helped them grow into that, that they are leading, and yet will probably miss the generation behind that if they're not um, delegating leadership out to the next person that's coming along. And so, you know, our church is a little over 30 years old. Um, that first generation that led us through those first several chapters of our church's story um, are, are getting to that, uh, they're boomers, they're getting to that empty nest kind of moment they're not going to be the leaders that do the same thing they did the last 30 years, the next 30 years. Now, I think that's an incredible missional opportunity, but it also means there are, there's a whole nother generation that will have to step into the shoes of the past 30 years. And uh, the, if Buddy was there, I don't know that that next generation would have responded to him the way that they respond to the current leaders that are there. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, we, we live in that tension between the two still. 
Um, and it's a both a missional risk and a missional opportunity. Uh, but uh, Buddy had the audacity to trust his guys on that. And um, I think it ensured the future of the church beyond Buddy. Um, because if, let's just say Buddy had come back and stepped on that, and then those guys would have left, and then Buddy would have died, Grace would have been in a whole different scenario. Yeah, yeah. Then it would be, oh my gosh, who do we hire to replace yeah. You know, buddy yeah, totally. And bringing in, the, t- introducing a totally different culture and ethos, different heart, you know, totally. that the focus on, I know part of Buddy's story, the focus on Muslims after 9-11 and, and really kind of feeling right. compelled and convicted that this is a group to reach. That's good. I, I think that's yeah. a, I think that is um, one of the biggest problems we see in today's church culture is the mm-hmm. willingness for the two generations that are in leadership struggle right now um, right. to work together, to trust mm-hmm. each other, right? For yeah. the older generation to yeah. trust that this younger generation can lead and cannot you know, run the car in the ditch. And that for right. the younger generation to trust that, hey, the work that the older generation has done is worthwhile. Yeah. It may not be resonant yeah. to, to, to our ethos and thinking, but it is a worthwhile work that's worth building on. Yeah. We don't have to come scrap it. Is that totally. Totally. you guys experience? Totally. That? I mean, that, that, gets to, that gets to a lot of bigger issues, which I think are important as well, which I would say the whole missional conversation would, would need to hear uh, because I think the temptation of the younger generation is to say you should have done versus to say, thank you for. And uh, if we could, you know, if we're always reforming and we're continuing to build the, the reformational movement, um, I think we would be better off as younger leaders to start that reformation off with thank you for rather than you should have done. Um, and so, you know, even in the broader missional conversation, I would say with the, with the, with the conversation the way it has been, um, Unfortunately, and, and I totally get it. I've been part of it. You know, like I'm not, you know, this is not a critique except for a self-critique. Um, sometimes your frustration with the status quo can lead you to, to not appreciate the reformation the generation in front of you led. All you see is what still needs to be reformed. And so you tend to say, you should have done this. Why didn't you do this? Wow, that's so unbiblical or whatever it is. However you want to talk about it versus saying, you know what? Thank you for the reformation that you led. Thank, thank you, Bill Hybels, or thank you for, you know, um, church growth leaders for creating a church where we can bring our friends to church and don't have to be, you know, they, they can actually have a clue what's going on, don't have to be embarrassed of it. Um, it's not just kind of suit and ties and uh, this kind of fake world that, um, you know, poses as, as church. Thank you for the reformation that you led. It's a missional reformation to be able to bring, bring our friends to church. Now we want to go the next step in the missional revolution and think about the church where our friends live, not just simply trying to bring them to church. And so I think we could have done a, 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 a you know, we could have done a better job of saying thank you for instead of you should have done. And um, so, so kind of standing between those two generations, someone like me who's 44, 43, about to be, you know, 44, um, I, I think I can appreciate that 15 years later in a way that uh, I couldn't 15 years ago. And, and I think that maybe there's something there as we continue to see all kinds of leaders who are in succession planning right now, trying to figure out what's the next chapter of their church look like for young leaders that are coming into those positions. Where, where can you say thank you for? Where can you name the revolution and reformation that the leaders that you're taking over for have, have really given their lives to? Because when, when you just say you should have, when you should have done, you're, you're diminishing the real risks and the real contribution the leader in front of you made. And so that, that whole idea of we stand on the shoulders of giants, well, we need to appreciate the giants that we're standing on the shoulders of. And if we can figure out in, in just kind of our own uh, discipline to go back and hear the story of the church, to hear the story of the movement and why that movement was created. And if we're able to say thank you for that, let us build upon that. Um, I, think, I think we'd have a, a different um, aura of church. Uh, 
that uh, maybe people wouldn't stand in the way of, but could actually get on board with just because a simple thank you goes a long way. Hmm. Uh, how are you guys doing that at Grace? How are you guys helping the generation say thank you? And how are you guys helping the, the generation say, you know, you're welcome in some ways and kind of yeah. let them lead? <laughs> it's two steps forward, one step back. You know, we're stumbling into it, trying to do our best. You know, been awesome if we could have had some of this language several years ago. But uh, <laughs> sometimes it's the gift of actually going through the mess that actually gives you the language to begin to be able to talk about it. Um, I think that, you know, we have challenges and opportunities that are part of it. I mean, right now, as, as the discipleship pastor at Grace Snellville, um, we've got a whole generation of boomers, like I was saying earlier, that have uh, led us through the first several chapters of Grace's story. And now they don't have kids at home. They've got houses, some of them at the lake. They're split in time. And, uh, you know, on one front, uh, it, the challenge for their time is a significant issue for our culture. Um, and what I want to be able to do in, in order to say thank you is not try and talk them into the same life they had the last 20 years, but instead see that as a missional opportunity. These guys are going to the lake. They're going to all kinds of different contexts. This is a missional opportunity Let's try and not just talk them back into another rotation with the students or different things like that. But instead, let's empower them to the dreams that could be the most impactful dreams of their life. And let's send them and, you know, regather with them well, rather than just trying to talk them into, you know, something with our corporate vision. Instead, um, let's empower them for this last quarter of their life to be it's the most impactful quarter of their life. Let's empower the dreams that are inside of them. And at the same time, let's raise up the next generation to step into the places that they may be vacating. Um, and so for me, the way you say thank you, I think, is to take the time to hear their dreams personally, empower them to do that, champion them in that, not guilt trip them back to what they have been doing. Um, while at the same time, um, uh, giving opportunity for the next generation to raise up and maybe even do some things differently than the past generation has done that. But you can't do that until you first empower the dreams of those who have been there in the, in the, in the trenches and, and made the church what it is today. It seems like the challenge though is, and I love that you listen to them, empower their dreams for the next phase. Do you see them then giving some leeway for the next generation to do it their way? Because maybe not Grace yeah. Nelville, but my friend's church, that boomer generation wants to go to the lake and do that. But when they're back at the church, man, they want it yeah. their way, right? Hey, listen, we've worked yeah. hard. We've yeah. built this. We've paid for these buildings. We're going to do it our way. Right. And tend to stand right. in the way sometimes. Yeah. Yeah. People are Even people. the generation ahead of them don't, right? The generation ahead of them is thinking <laughs> the end is near. Let's, let's let these young guys lead. That boomer generation sometimes in some context stands as a roadblock because, Hey, listen, we've worked hard to get it the way we like it. It's just now the way we right. like it. Don't change that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So we have, see we that have permission that coming. Too. Okay. Okay. Yeah. I mean, we have, we have all that too. I mean, like, you know, I don't know that you're ever going to, to some degree, it, it, it's always easier to listen to your grandparents than it is your parents because your grandparents are one generation away and they don't stand in the way of what, of, of where you want to be at. Um, and so, uh, you know, that one generation to the next generation is a hard transition uh, because one generation feels like the, the generation from's in their way and the other generation feels like the next generation is going to squander everything that they have risked their lives for. Um, and so that, that parent-child dynamic is always going to be there. Um, but I do think that when people start gaining imagination – uh, in their own lives for what could be, it keeps them from cherishing what has been in a way that becomes unhealthy. Now, again, it's not, it's not pure. Um, it's not a hundred percent, but uh, it's a whole lot easier to do that when you've empowered their imagination for the future than when you haven't. Um, because if, if you haven't, then all they know about the future is what they can hold on to today and that's why they're going to fight so hard to keep it. So how do you guys, that's, yeah. go ahead. 
that's the Oxano, you know, message where, you know, uh, I, that whole idea where there is no vision, the people cherish, right? Um, right. So that, that's the whole Oxano deal on that. Lower room uh, identity. And, they cherish the, the yeah, place, yeah. the people, the programs, yep. or the personality. Yep, yep. And so uh, that ends up happening. And when people want to change the place, the programs, uh, the personality that you're, you're cherishing, what they feel like they've sacrificed so much to create. Um, and so uh, the visionary process, corporately, uh, but I would say even more important, personally for that generation um, so that they can let go of the things that they've cherished. Uh, it's hard to let go of something until you are trying to grab hold of something else. And so if there's nothing to grab hold of, then you hold on to what you have. And so the, the, the task for those of us as leaders is to increase the imagination so that they naturally let go of what they have in order to grab what they don't um, then what they've just let go of is in play. How do you guys at Grace uh, fuel that imagination process? What is, what is it that you guys do that help those people refocus and think forward? Uh, well, I mean, Unique's been a, a large part of that. I mean, just that, that um, last quarter of life reimagination moment at about 60 years old, um, is, is a really important part. So the unique process, you know, the, the, the major life. And you're talking about unique. 20, you know, 40, 60. Let's, let's, let's kind of start from the top there. When you say unique, yeah. you know, kind of walk us through yeah. that. Yeah. So unique is an organization that me and Will Mancini, uh, created, uh, to help take what you guys at Oxano have done so well, which is, um, the organizational vision process and say, what, what if we could apply that kind of process to every individual person's life? What would that look like? And so the unique process um, takes the vision frame, uh, the big five questions that you're answering with your life, your, your what, your, your, your why, your how, your when, and then eventually your where, um, and, and helps you do that for a church with the Oxano process. The unique process helps you do that personally in your, in your own life. Um, and so for us, as we've invested in that process with our people, um, more and more of that boomer generation is growing in imagination for what could be in their own personal lives. Um, and that is a huge catalyst uh, to helping them think about what's next for them versus just simply trying to hold on to what has been. Now, again, that's not everyone. That's not, you know, we're on the front edge of this whole thing. We're not on the back edge of this whole thing. Um, and whether it's unique or some other process, you know what I mean? Whether uh, halftime, I mean, there's, 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 there's other processes that are beginning to do that. But I would suggest that destiny training of some kind in a church is crucial to um, creating an environment where things can continue to shift and change. Uh, and so we, we're doing that there, there, like I said, it is not clean. It is not pure. It is not, <laughs> it is not one-to-one. -one. Um, it's two steps forward, one step back. But I will say this, you know, the, the fruit is we, we do have churches that are growing um, in a place where the senior pastor has died. And um, there are next generation people stepping up and that transference at leadership, of leadership at every level is beginning to happen. Um, and there's not a huge fight going on. Um, there's a lot of empowerment that is happening. It uh, doesn't mean there's not differences of opinion. <laughs> doesn't mean there's not, uh, you, you know, you should have done it this way or that kind of thing. It just means that um, I think we're doing that as well as I know how to right now. Let's walk to the leadership pipeline. You said this is probably yep. the thing that as you sit at a church of, of seven uh, churches to get to that hundred churches, uh, why is that? Why is your conviction around leadership pipeline? And then what does that look like for you guys right now? Yeah, because you cannot multiply at the rate of opportunity. You can only multiply at the rate of leadership development. If you multiply at the rate of opportunity without developing leaders, you're going to be overstretched, undermanned. 
Um, and yet that's the temptation for all of us as leaders is to multiply at the rate of opportunity. So all of a sudden we find ourselves really thin. Um, and, 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 and many times we lose what we have in the name of getting what we, what we thought we wanted. Um, and so for us, uh, several years ago, we kind of made that shift from simply creating a volunteer, what I call a volunteer drain pipe, which is uh, creating converts that volunteer and serve to really say, no, no, let's go after making disciples that become leaders that are sent out on mission. Doesn't mean that we don't want converts. Doesn't mean we don't need volunteers. Doesn't mean that we don't need people to serve. That I mean, you know, we're a mega church at Snellville. We have 2,300 people come in every week. It's a machine. It's, it needs volunteers to run. But what we wanted to do is make it really hard that as you're volunteering, that you're not being discipled. Uh, make it really hard that as you're volunteering, for you not to grow in leadership. Make it really hard as you are serving, not to grow in passion for, for, for a mission of some kind. Uh, and so we've really invested in a disciple-making culture that creates leaders that are sent out on mission. Now, again, we have seven campuses. Um, some campuses are more pure in this than others, you know. Uh, some of them uh, are, are, have greater breakthrough than others, but it's in the mindset of all of us as leaders that we're trying to make disciples who become leaders that are sent out on mission. And sometimes that means you're sending people out in a way that's kind of scary. Um, but uh, we've just seen so much fruit from that happening. Uh, I mean, literally several years ago, Grace decided not to just be a mega church, but to be a multiplying church. And um, that comes with its own ramifications. Uh, but uh, what we have seen in the power of that, we said we're not going back. Now, it doesn't mean we're not trying to grow every single place. You know, I mean, we're going to grow Snellville. We're going to grow Midtown. We're going to grow Monroe. We're going to grow New Hope. We're going to grow all these different places, Marietta, D.C., as, as much as we possibly can, Athens. But, but our heartbeat is we're not just trying to run the program of church. We're invested in the culture of discipleship. Um, and so, you know, from, 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 my days back at leading 3DM, one of the things we used to say all the time was if you, if you make a church, you may or may not get disciples. But if you go for disciples, you'll always get the church. And that's been something that Grace bought into several years ago. Um, and they've been making disciples. And the ramification of making disciples is that we've gotten a, a very dynamic church. Um, it's not perfect. Um, it's not clean all the time. Um, there are things that we don't do as well as those of us that are leading would like us to do, but leaders are developing and mission is being expanded and we're multiplying. You know, we've planted churches that plant churches. Um, that, that multiplication framework is beginning to uh, bear fruit and for us, as we look at that, we're not going back. We're not going back to just simply creating one big place where the best thing you can do is either teach a Sunday school class or, or keep the nursery. Um, we, we believe that every person that is being brought to our church is a gift. This is Ephesians 4 language, is a gift for the further manifestation of Christ within the community or beyond our community. So if God's bringing us people it is for the greater manifestation of Christ in the world. So we're trying to look at every person who comes in our doors as God saying, I'm still not done with you yet. Uh, and your job is to uh, use the people that I'm bringing through your doors to greater manifest my presence in your community and beyond your community. And for that, we need disciples that become leaders that are sent out on mission. And so that's been part of our heartbeat. Um, we've sacrificed tremendously for it. Thankfully, we had a founder uh, named Buddy Hoffman who believed in that and leveraged his own ministry testimonially for that, uh, meaning he didn't just stay at the center of the movement and crushed leadership beyond him, but he moved to the fringes of the movement, became a pioneer of the movement, empowered those beyond him. Um, and that's our legacy. That's our story. That's our legacy. That's what we're going for. Um, and and uh, we hope we get to the place where someone couldn't put it out if they tried to, because it would just multiply again. How does, um, what is, you've talked about discipleship in a couple different contexts. Yeah. I know, I know it's the heart of what you do. Um, 
you've also talked about it through the unique framework, right. helping, you know, the next, you know, helping every generation imagine really kind of that, 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 that movemental future there. You've talked about it in terms of leadership pipeline. What does it look like at ground level for that, for that guy who's coming in a couple of years in, what is, what is discipleship for you guys? Yeah. I mean, yeah. I know that's a big question that we could spend the next hour and a half talking about, but just give us some, yeah. Where's disciple, where's the heart of discipleship at Grace? Yeah. So it, it looks a little bit different at every campus, um, meaning that there are two parts and each different campus has to manage these two parts in different ways. So there's organized discipleship and there's organic discipleship. Um, at, at our, like at Snellville, that's been around for 30 plus years, we have to work more on the organized and then toward the organic, where at some of our newer places, it can be more organic and then move toward, toward organized. Um, but what I mean by that is um, every, every place uh, is, is, is going to do a couple of different things. One, they're going to uh, either do missional communities or house churches, which means that we're going to try and help our congregation be the church where they live, work, and play in every neighborhood or network. Um, as part of that, then, the discipleship pipeline is growing them into the kinds of leaders that can do that kind of thing. Uh, so at, at Snellville, um, we've had to come back in and do a little bit more organized, meaning that's a large, that's a hard jump for people who have kind of grown up in church to just kind of think of themselves as a pastor in their, na- in their neighborhood. Um, and a lot of people can't make the jump to the organic without having a pathway through the organized. So in regard to organized disciple making, we've identified what's the core content that we want to lead people through? What are the core processes that we want to lead people through? Um, we have what we call a discipleship and mission training center. That's a house. So we try and do a lot of this training in a house that helps to bridge the gap from the big box of the church uh, to ha- help people think about what can actually happen in their home. Um, but we recognize, you know, there's some things we need to do on Wednesday night while the students are being invested into and the kids are being invested into. There's an organized part that for people who have been in church for a while, they're used to moving in the organized aspect of that. If we were to just go completely organic, there'd be a big disconnect um, in some of our churches. And so we, we have to invest in that organized piece. But we also have to understand that uh, the organic life on life, discipleship happens not just pen and paper to person, but life to life. Um, and so, uh, in some of our churches, the, the organic is, is the lead thing, and it's, and it's all life to life, and then a little bit of organization. Other, church, other of our churches, it's more organized, but it's got to lead into life to life. So all the things that we do in regard to classes, um, the things that we do in regard to uh, the programming and training that we do have that's kind of organized, the, the, the goal of that is to lead people into a community life where they're living up relationship with the father in relationship with each other and out relationship with the world in organic ways. And so uh, it's not just the program stuff. The program stuff leads to the unprogrammed stuff, the organic stuff of living life to life because discipleship means not just simply, you know, learning the essentials of spiritual formation. It's how do I raise my kids? And I need to see you raise your kids. I need to be in your home. I need to see the way that you are with your spouse. I need to see the way that you manage your work life um, with your family life. I need to see the way that you have fun. I mean, you know, discipleship is the golf course and the kitchen table and, um, you know, the office and all those other kinds of things. And so that organic piece of what we do um, we concentrate on as well. So again, at every at every different campus, those two things will be in play, organized and organic, but the balance of those two things will be different depending on, is this a church plant? Is this, you know, breaking the new territory where there's not all those expectations? Or is this a 30-year-old church that has, you know, um, some traditions and some expectations? And And I think our job as leaders is to manage the organized and the organic in a way that's appropriate to our context. Uh, again, what you find so many times is, is people either doing one or the other. So you have these organic discipleship kind of movement that just says there's nothing good that happens in organized disciple making. 
I, I think there is. Um, or you have the organized disciple making that's suspicious of, of the organic in the name of, yeah, people see you do your laundry, but they don't know how to read the Bible. Well, yeah, I mean, I, 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 yeah, but they need to see me do the laundry. They need to see me, you know, do the, they need to see that, that kind of aspect of what we do. And so the organized and the organic are really important. And um, what we're trying to do at all of our campuses is help them help them figure out what their approach and balance is. And like I said, every Grace Church is going to do that a little bit differently, but from the same kind of constructs. That's that's great. I appreciate you getting into that with us because I think that's a big question. It kind of brings us full circle conversationally too, of you know, kind of even thinking not just generationally. Uh, and some of the some of the right. how do we how do we think, but also organizationally and and kind of the balance there. I'm gonna I'm gonna go three specific questions here, okay. Dave. I ask every podcast guest. All right, all right, so, all right. Buckle so up. what's number one? What's one daily or regular habit you practice that keeps you close to the heart of God? Yeah, I mean, this is something we picked up at 3DM um, that I couldn't believe. In, in, the, in the back end that I had done so many years of ministry without doing. Um, and it's what we call morning prayers. Um, and what I mean by that is not my personal time with God, but I mean, uh, I try with my team um, to gather at least three or four, th- three days a week if we can. We, we try and do Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday. Um, and we read scripture together. We take the Moravian text for the day. We read that together. We take 45 seconds to a minute in silence just to see if God wants to say something to us. We intercede for each other. And it's our way of resting into the work that God has for us to do that day, to recognize that productivity is not about doing lots of things. It's about doing the right thing at the right time. And that what we need, not just individually, but as our team, is to be able to identify what the right thing is. And so we're trusting by resting for 30 minutes into the word of God together, that it'll help us be more productive in our day. So it's, it, it, it's counterintuitive for me. I'm, I'm a get up and get moving kind of guy. I mean, actually, it's a little bit of a lie. I'm not a morning person, but when I do get up, I'm a get moving, <laughs> get going to it kind of guy. Um, and so I, I was surprised that I had spent the first 10 years of my ministry. And I'm not saying we didn't pray together. I'm just saying we didn't intentionally rest into our work together for the day. And then when, when I became one of the leaders at 3DM, that was a practice that was in the 3DM culture. And I was like, oh, this is so helpful and so fruitful, even though it's counterintuitive for us as a family to rest in the work that day. I've tried to carry that over with, with, with some of our team here at Grace, but I would say personally, that's a practice that I need um, we've tried to do something similar with our family as well as with our with our with our team on that. Um, I'm more productive when I'm doing that, uh, mm-hmm. and I'm more in tune with what God is doing when I'm doing that. And so, I, wh- wherever I lead, I want to be part of of the practices that I continue to do. Now, again, uh, don't hear me, you know, in any kind of accusation toward people. Hear me in my own personal repentance. Say, I was surprised how easy for so many years it was for me to lead without that, that now that I've been there, I don't want to, I don't want to go back from that. Yeah. I think my experience has been the same. It's, it's, we, we work into our rest, yeah, right? Yeah. We just kill totally. it all day long as hard as we can. And then right. work into our collapse. rest, but work and collapse, right. Fall asleep <laughs> on the couch you yeah. Know, yeah. when we get yeah. home versus, uh, you know, resting into our work and really yeah. kind of, uh, beginning that way. That's, that's huge. If you go back to your first year of ministry and tell yourself one thing, what would it be? <laughs> oh, I wish I could do this actually. Um, I, I would say, uh, it's okay if everything you're dreaming about doesn't happen in the first year, <laughs> uh, that, uh, that, 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 that there is time for you to grow into the dreams that God has placed in your heart. Um, so many times in ministry, I mean, I don't know if it's like this for everybody else, but I, I always feel like I'm behind. I'm behind what I should be doing. I'm behind what should have already happened in this context. I'm behind because, you know, you're always measuring yourself against the 1% of the 1% of the 1%. And if you're not where they're at, it feels like you're behind. And no one tells you they feel like they're behind too. So everyone feels like they're behind all the time. 
Um, and there's all this extra anxiety and fear and shame and guilt that enters in. Um, and so if I go back and just say, you know what, all the dreams that you have in your heart and mind are right and good. Give yourself grace to grow into it. Give yourself grace to grow into it. Um, that would have helped me. I don't know if I'd have been able to hear it, but, but I would at least like to have been able to tell myself that. <laughs> Every time I ask that question, everybody consistently says, I wouldn't have heard it, yeah. but, I, but I would do it. No, right, here, right. But the point is, is there's somebody out there uh, listening right now who needs to hear it yeah. and will hear it because yeah. it's coming from you and, yeah. and, and, and not, not themselves there. Hey, last question here. Is there one book you consistently recommend or give as a gift? Yeah, I mean, the classic thing that, I mean, um, Dallas Willard's The Divine Conspiracy, and it, it's a big book. So, you know, but I would say it is just classic for me. Um, so many things that I had in my mind and thought, is this appropriate? Is this right? He named in, the, in that book. Um, for me, it, it doesn't get much better than that. I mean, there's lots of other things, other books that, that people can read. But The Divine Conspiracy by Dallas Willard, I would say, is a classic in our generation and one that I would hope everyone in ministry takes the time. I mean, I'm a slow reader, so I, I could only read it, you know, it's 400 pages long or whatever. I, I could only read it a couple pages at a time. It took me a while to get through it. Um, but every second I spent in that book was, was, was worthwhile. Dave, thank you. Yep, no problem. Thanks for being a part of my ministry breakthrough. Well, and, uh, <laughs> Love it, man. I hope I hope something today is helpful for for somebody, um, and and uh, hope hope maybe you don't have to learn it in reverse. Hopefully, you can learn it uh, forward. I know it will be. Thank you for listening to my ministry breakthrough from the Oxano Podcast Network. You can head over to myministrybreakthrough.com to join the conversation and access our show notes, including the books or other resources mentioned in this episode. If you enjoy hearing these stories of ministry breakthrough, we would be honored if you would subscribe, rate, and even leave a review on iTunes or your preferred podcast provider. Thanks again for listening.